Let's continue our series through the book of Genesis this morning by going to Genesis chapter 3. As we begin this chapter, it is critical we learn all we can from this chapter because we are watching the transition from a state of perfection to sinfulness. There's a lot of difficult questions in this world. And if you don't understand this chapter, you may never come to a satisfactory answer. And and really, you need to understand the first three chapters. You need to understand God created everything perfect. But once sin entered the world here in chapter 3, everything's going to change. And many of life's difficult questions can be traced back to chapter 3. Why is there evil in the world? Why is there heartache? Why is there abuse? Why is there cancer? Why is there suffering? Why is there death? Why are there violent storms? Why is there flooding? Why is there drought? Why are there pestilences? Why are there oppressive regimes led by wicked dictators? Why are free countries led by morons? (laughs) That may have come out wrong. (laughs) I didn't even name a nation, but amen. Why are there wars and rumors of war? Why does nation rise up against nation? Why is Russia invading Ukraine? Why are innocent civilians dying? And on and on we could go with the questions. And because of a misunderstanding of the first three chapters, people will ask questions like, how can a loving God allow such pain and suffering in the world? How can there be such evil in a world that God has created? And I do believe many are asking with a sincere heart, but some have become bitter along the way. We must recognize all that is wrong in this world is a result of sin. And it began right here. What we see today is not how God created everything. But we willingly chose to sin. We chose the pleasure of that sin over God. We chose willingly. Now that sin has entered the world, it has marred God's perfect creation. Why do marriages struggle? Why do kids rebel? Why do churches do wrong? Why is there no perfect pastor? Because of sin. You married a sinner. You gave birth to a sinner. You say you're oversimplifying it. That's it. We're sinners. 
Romans 8, 22 and 23 says, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of the body. The whole creation is groaning. It's travailing. It's in pain. Because we have corrupted this world through sin. So if you're going to wrap your head around all that is wrong in this world, you must come to terms with what is contained in this chapter. And with that, let's begin by reading verses 1 through 5 of Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? The woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Well, this morning inadvertently turned into a little bit of a Bible study more than preaching. So uh, for those who hate preaching, you're welcome. For those who like preaching, I'm sorry. And this chapter, it answers a lot of questions. But you know what? It, it also, uh, a lot of questions go unanswered. As a result, it's led to a lot of speculation. And for some, speculation has led to the conclusion that what we read here in this chapter, and really the chapters before, it's nothing more than myth in order to help simple minds understand. That somehow this account is given to us, not as literal, but as figurative, to try to explain where evil came from. Now the problem with speculation is, it's speculation. Amen. And, and, and do not allow the questions that you may have when you look at this chapter, don't let those questions detract you from what is being said. Amen. What is being clearly declared and revealed. And we must always be careful not to make the Scriptures say something that they don't. Right away we're met with some questions. It makes for great conversation but they can often lead to bad scholarship. What was this serpent? Isaiah 27.1, we read, Leviathan, the piercing serpent, even Leviathan, that crooked serpent. But in all four references in the Bible to Leviathan, it refers to him in the sea. So that doesn't necessarily fit the Garden of Eden. Not to mention the serpent here is called the beast of the field. Verse 14, this serpent is going to be cursed above all cattle and every beast of the field, and upon his belly he shall go. Does this mean that whatever the serpent was, that God changed its form? Did it used to have feet? Or was the serpent a snake as we understand it? And maybe it crawled with half of its body erect, but then as God cursed it to the ground, it now has to slither completely on the ground. All kind of questions begin to, to rise in this chapter. Did Satan take up residence in an actual snake? We know when Jesus cast out the demon, the demons out of the maniac of Gadara, they asked, can we be cast into this herd of swine? And Jesus allowed that. 
It is possible for demons to possess animals. Or did Satan just take upon himself the form of a serpent, like when Moses' rod turned into a serpent, and Pharaoh's Egyptians, <laughs> Pharaoh's magicians were able to perform the same thing? You know what I mean, amen? It rhymes, it's difficult. And so we know from 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, we aren't to marvel how Satan can transform himself into a minister or into an angel of light. When this serpent comes to Eve speaking, she's not freaked out. Does that mean there was a time when animals could talk? Or is she just so much in her innocence and in perfection, there is no fear in the world? We know God opened the mouth of Balaam's donkey to speak. My point in all these questions is to show you how much speculation we can be led into. Now I have my opinions on every one of those and I'm sure you have yours. But like I said earlier, let's not get wrapped up so much in what's not said and let's focus on what is said. So what do we know? Well, first we know from comparing Scripture with Scripture that Satan is the serpent. And we must understand that Satan is the one here speaking to Eve. The devil really is in the details. Revelation 12, 9, it says, And that great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Revelation 20 and verse 2, And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. And next, we see that Satan is subtle meaning that Satan is cunning, he's crafty, he is a deceiver. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 2.14 that the woman was deceived in this account. Satan doesn't show the end result of his temptation, but he is subtle. He packages sin in a pleasurable, attracting, alluring wrapper. But the end of that thing is bitterness, misery, and regret. He makes it seem like it's just a drink to unwind with. But Proverbs 23, 32 says, At the last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Satan will tell you it's just a drug to feel better with. It's just a song. It's just a movie. It's just a game. He's subtle. He's crafty had a young man come to me once and he had gotten heavily involved in the occult uh, in the occult world and he told me he was introduced to that through a game. A game that I've heard mentioned from the mouths of people in our church. And he says, that's how I got introduced to the occult. Was through this game. Listen, it's not just a game. Amen. I'm telling you as your pastor, having dealt with these issues, Amen. it is not just. Don't be deceived. 2 Corinthians 11.3 But I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. You see, Satan doesn't show up with horns and a tail and a pitchfork like some cartoon, like some college mascot. Satan doesn't show you the tormenting flames of hell. That's too obvious. All would avoid that. All would flee from that. But Satan, he quietly slithers in. And he has almost dead eyes and a forked tongue. And he comes in like a snake. Through subtlety, he tempts us. He's after us. 
He's after our families. He's coiled up and He's ready to strike. And once He does, He's like a lion that devours His prey. He wants to sift us like wheat. The English word subtle shows up two more times in our Bible. And it's very telling how they are used in both contexts. 2 Samuel 13.3 Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimea of David's brother. And Jonadab was a very subtle man. Amnon wanted to sleep with Tamar. And it was Jonadab who taught Amnon how to be crafty, how to be deceiving in order to take advantage of Tamar. It's a terrible account of rape and defilement of an innocent woman. And it led to the death of Amnon by Absalom and his men. But it all began with subtlety. You can have what you want. This is how you get it. The next use of subtle in our Bible is in relation to the harlot of Proverbs chapter 7. And she's captured a lot of men. The Bible says she was subtle of heart. She was flattering with her lips. She was attractive. She had a pleasurable appearance. All these trappings of pleasure. But we read that the man who followed after her didn't realize he was as an ox going to the slaughter. A dart struck through his liver. And as a bird hasteth to the snare, he knows not that it is for his life. Proverbs 7, verses 25 through 27, it says, Let not thine heart decline to her ways. Go not astray in her paths. For she has cast down many wounded. Yea, many strong men have been slain by her. Her house is the way to hell, going down to the chambers of death. But Satan doesn't advertise that. He doesn't advertise the aftermath of the temptation that we give into. He doesn't tell us it leads to hell and death. 2 Corinthians 2.11 says, Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. You need to understand who your enemy is. Don't be ignorant. We see in verse 1 of our text that Satan comes to the woman asking, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. We see the very first time that Satan shows up on the scene. He comes to the woman asking, Is that what God said? He is connecting the first time God spoke to man. The first time He speaks here. And I want you to understand this morning that one of Satan's primary devices is to get you to doubt the veracity of God's Word. He is a master at it. And he's very subtle as he does it. Satan has taken a very keen interest in the Bible because it is chiefly through God's Word that God manifests Himself to us. That we learn of Him. Psalm 138 and verse 2 says, For Thou hast magnified Thy Word above all Thy name. He has an interest in the Word of God, but for the wrong reasons. 
Satan does not want God to be known through salvation. Therefore, Satan's interest in the Word of God is very malicious. We must never ignore this fact. Satan says, Yea, hath God said... And we learn that Satan's strategy is to begin to sow doubt into the minds of God's children concerning the Word of God. And everybody for that matter. And he continued by offering to Eve another version of God's Word. Remember from last week that God's original command in relation to every tree but one was a positive command. It was a command of permission. Thou mayest freely eat. But notice how Satan twists God's word and makes it a negative command here. Yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? God, I should have done a, I should have did PowerPoint this morning for this to show you this because some of you may not catch it as I'm speaking it. That's not a, a knock. It's just a lot to throw at you. Uh, God said... You may eat, but Satan said you may not. He's very subtle. And and this is a very subtle change, but it's very significant. Not only did Satan put a negative spin on the command of God, but he left out much of what God had said. He never quoted God exactly. The same thing happened when Satan came to tempt Christ in the wilderness. And he used Scripture to do so. Satan was using Scripture to tempt Christ. We don't have time to get into that, but if you would read Luke 4, 9 through 11, you'll discover how the devil misquoted by omitting from and adding to the Word of God. And in the process, he perverted the meaning of what God had originally stated in Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. So let's take a look now at the result of Satan's strategy here in the Garden of Eden. We see it in Eve's response in verses 2 and 3. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. So God's command was this, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. But Eve quoted it this way. We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. What happened? She altered the word of God. She omitted the words every, as in every tree, She omitted the word freely, as in could freely eat. She added the words, neither shall you touch it. She substituted, thou shalt surely die, for lest ye die. Listen, lest ye die says, peradventure we die. God didn't say you might die by chance. God said you will die. It's a huge change of the word of God. And in this we find the first revision of God's word some 6,000 years ago. And Satan is still at work at it today. Today he has introduced literally dozens and dozens of various English Bibles. And they contain omissions, additions, and subtractions, just like in our text. Why are there so many changes to the Word of God? Modern Bibles are taken from the 
Alexandrian Greek text, that's why. Our Bible's taken, the Old Testament's taken from the Hebrew Masoretic text, and the New Testament's taken from the Greek Textus Receptus or Received text. Don't worry, I'm resisting the temptation to get into a side study here on the, on the King James. I want to, but I'm saving that for another time. I do want to use this as an opportunity to say, Satan wants you to lose confidence in the Word of God. And I've always said this, whether you agree with the King James Version or not, with that whole debate, I still think it's right for a church to pick something and say, that's the one we're going with. To me, it casts doubt when a preacher says, well, I really like how the uh, ESV says it. Let me read that to you. And, and, and listen to how the, the RSV says it. And, and, and listen to how the, 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 NIV, the NIV has it. What, what are we saying? What are we telling to people? I mean, pick one and go with it. Now, there's a reason why we've, we've picked the King James. We believe Amen. it to be the preserved Word of God. Amen. But Satan wants you to lose confidence in the Word of God. He wants you to doubt its trustworthiness, its purity, and its inspiration. And people try to push this issue aside by supposing all Bibles are essentially the same. But things that are different are not the same. I can't resist giving you one example. If you happen to have an ESV, an RSV, a GNT, or an NIV with you this morning, would you look up Acts chapter 8, verse 37? And you know what you'll find? It's not there. It goes from verse 36 to verse 38. Don't tell me there's not something to all this. It was Satan's first tactic. Why wouldn't he be doing it today? It's a very important verse that's taken out. You may have a footnote there, but why has that key verse been removed if all Bibles are the same? And listen, I am being dead serious. I could give you hundreds upon hundreds of examples of the exact same thing. Where you take this Bible... And you compare it against a new Bible and you'll find there are verses omitted, there are words added, and there are things that have been subtracted. Why? Could it be that Satan is a master at twisting the Word of God? And could it be he's working behind the scenes to give us the nonsense that we have today to where Christ's deity is removed, the blood of Christ is removed, did you know fasting is removed from modern Bibles? Check it out. It may say somebody fasted in the past, but when the Bible commands us to fast like it does in the New Testament, it's gone. Why? Is that because fasting is the way that we receive great power from God? And Satan knows that and says, I don't want God's people fasting. Listen, there's something to this issue. That's all I'm saying. If you're on the fence, you need to keep studying it. You need to keep studying it. You will become convinced, I'm sure. Back to our text. Satan not only twists and changed the Word of God, but we see that he's just a flat-out liar. God said of the forbidden tree in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. But what did Satan say to Eve in verse 4? That ye shall not surely die. Jesus said of Satan in John 8, He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, 
He speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And he's still telling lies today. Just this little bit won't hurt you. All things in moderation. It's not as bad as the preacher wants you to believe. He's crazy. Satan says, you can't be saved. Salvation can't possibly be a free gift. God's Word was written by man and therefore it can't be pure. He's nothing more than a liar. So how do you see your way through all these lies? Well, it really comes down to the fact that you have to have faith in the Word of God. Don't listen to Satan, but take God at His Word. And the moment that someone begins to cast doubt on the Word of God, shut down the conversation and drown them out. Don't go there. And if you're in a public setting, I used to do this in the military all the time. Somebody would start bringing that junk up and start casting down. I'd shut it down right there and say, that's not true. You show me where it's true. And of course, they're, they're too ignorant to know. They just parrot what somebody else has said. You understand what I'm saying? You shut it down. This is the, the pure, inspired Word of God. He's a liar. We have two baptisms this morning. I'm going to try to move fast, okay? I feel this is noteworthy, though. As Eve was telling Satan why she couldn't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I want you to notice again that she added to God's word by saying, neither shall ye touch it. But where did she get that from? Last week I mentioned how I wanted verses 15 through 18 from chapter 2 fresh in your minds for this week. Remember that when God gave Adam the command not to eat from the tree, Eve was not yet created. Therefore, who did Eve get the command from? Now, I'm left to conclude that God's command was given to Eve from Adam. Adam was the one entrusted with the Word of God. And it was his responsibility to communicate it exactly. To communicate it accurately. It would appear Adam added this as a safety net. And we can understand his rationale, especially as good independent Baptists, amen. We can understand his rationale. Why not add just another rule to be sure that she doesn't eat from it? What better way than just to say, you know what, Eve? Don't even touch it. But God never said that. You say, what's the big deal? Imagine if you're Eve in this situation and your husband has told you, God's commanded us not only not to eat from it, but God said, don't touch it, lest ye die. Or shalt surely die. What would go through your mind if you're Eve the minute you touched that tree and nothing happened to you? Do you think you would start to conclude that maybe this serpent is on to something? He said, you shall not surely die. And sure enough, just as soon as I touched it, there was no death. Do you think maybe she thought, maybe I can go further in my spirituality here as Satan is, is tempting me to. And, and if, this, if touching this tree hasn't killed me, then it must be okay to eat from it as well. Do you see what I'm trying to say? What may have seemed like wisdom, And what may have seemed as logical, it really set a trap 
for further deception and for sin to enter their life in the world. By adding to God's Word, even though it was with good intentions, it corrupted God's Word. We see this in Jesus' day by how the Pharisees added to the Word of God through their oral tradition. But they had completely corrupted the Word of God in the process. Remember how they hated Jesus was healing on the Sabbath day. It was because of what they had added to the Word of God. They had added all these commands to the the Sabbath day to further protect it, but in reality, they had only corrupted it, and it led to legalism. It led to them saying, if you want to be saved and right with God, you've got to follow our law. God never said it. So what can we learn from this? We must, we must instruct the Word of God exactly as God has worded it. Nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else. And as a pastor, I'm to teach you only what God's Word says. And if you teach in this church, you need to teach only what God says. If you're a preacher, you only preach what God says. What do we read in the Old Testament? Thus saith the Lord. It wasn't, hey, here's my opinion, guys. I just got a word from God, and this is what I think He's trying to say here. No, no, no. They came on the scene with boldness, saying, Thus saith the Lord. We are to give the Word of God. If you're a junior church teacher, teach the Word of God. If you're a parent, Only teach your children what the Word of God says. Don't deviate. No matter how well your intentions are, because what you're going to find is people, and especially our children, they'll become frustrated with all of the religious rules which have been put forth in the place of God's Word. The day is going to come when that precious child is going to reach out, and they're going to touch for that tree and nothing's going to happen. You know why? Because it was never God's rule to begin with but you led them to believe it was. And they went out there and they touched it. Nothing happened. They're thinking, my parents must be insane. And so, what was never a command of God actually emboldened Eve to go ahead and take the next step and eat of the thing. When you start adding rules and regulations which God never said, it can end up backfiring and casting doubt on God's Word. In our movement as independent Baptists, in some churches... I stress that. In some churches, we have those doing what Pastor Dr. Awesome said. Like what he said is the gospel. Even though it was never in the Word of God. Some of you remember these days, don't you? Don't wear wingtip shoes. Don't wear wire rim glasses. Don't grow a beard. And whatever you do, make sure you wear paisley. (laughs) Some of y'all remember that. But did God say that? No. God never said it. And you know what it led to? It led to a generation that had been raising that going, you guys are a bunch of idiots. Some of you old timers need to back me up here. Because you know I'm right. Don't use a screen in your services. That used to be a thing. Don't dim the lights when the choir sings. You make sure you sing out of the red hymn book. 
You got to have Sunday school. Just got real, didn't it? You got to have a bus route if you want to be one of us. Where's that at in the Bible? Huh? Hey, the first church didn't have a chariot route. Where's that at in the Bible? Listen, I'm pro Sunday school and I'm pro bus route. I'm pro standards. But did God say it? Did God say if you die before you're baptized, you're going to go to hell? Did God say if your good works don't weigh out the bad, then you're going to go to hell? Did God say if you don't join this kind of church, you're going to go to hell? Did God say if you leave this church, you're going to go to hell? No. But we have religions built off of that. And it's legalism. It has added to the Word of God and said you must do this in order to be saved. Listen, don't ever confuse legalism with standards. Two totally different things. Legalism is when we say you've got to keep this standard in order to be saved. You know what you all need to do? You need to add circumcision to Christ. That's what they were saying back then. It was a form of legalism. And that's what churches and religions are doing today. If you don't get baptized through the Catholic Church, you're going to hell. If your good works don't outweigh your bad, you're going to hell. You might get lucky and escape things once you suffer in purgatory for a bit. But listen, it's not going to be good. Hey, the Mormon church is saying, you leave us, you're going into outer darkness. Of course, they're too ashamed to believe in hell that the Bible talks about. And listen, what happened? It all started back here. Neither shall you touch it. God never said it. Now we've got religions built upon it. And we've got some out here in our audience, maybe even today, you're confused. I don't know what truth is. I don't know anymore. I hear this church say this. I hear this church say that. I hear this religion say that. I don't even know what's true. Things are a mess today because so many are adding to God's Word. There is confusion and frustration everywhere as a result. And too many today, they're doing what man says. And you know why? It's because you don't know the Word of God. Why do people follow man? Because they don't know what God's Word says. You should be in the Word of God enough to be able to throw back at me when I'm off track and say, that's not in the Word of God. But so many people don't read their Bibles. They don't study. They don't meditate. They don't memorize. And so the preacher can get up and tell you anything. I can get up here and tell you, hey, you know, the serpent, he used to walk around like a beast of the field before. Oh, the Bible never says that. You see what I'm saying? We've got people saying, oh, you know what Adam did? He just knew he was going to suffer, so he had to eat of it because he just wanted to be with her. The Bible doesn't say that. But listen, these are popular teachings out there. I'm just saying, let God be true and every man a liar. Don't add to the Word of God. Let the Word of God say what it says. And if you're unsure about what it's saying, then you ask the Holy Spirit to help guide you in the truth. And God said, if you'll ask me for wisdom, I'll give it to you liberally. I won't upbraid you for it. Amen. Amen. John over there, he said, you know what? You don't need another teacher. You've got the Holy Spirit. And so listen, when we come to the Word of God, I'm encouraging you as parents, 
Don't add to it to your children. I know in your mind you're thinking it makes sense. It's an extra safety net. We can make sure they don't do this and they don't do that, but you're going to end up leading them into bitterness and further rebellion. And then as a church, God forbid, we depart from this word. If you're teaching, if you're preaching, if you're ministering in some way, don't deviate from what the word of God says. No matter how well intentioned you are. Now, Brother Mike Sullivan asked me before the service, he said, "What's what's the draw this morning? And I'm glad he asked because a song leader should know in order to have songs that will help prepare the heart. I said, I don't have a draw this morning. I don't even really know what we're doing this morning. I'm just going to talk about the subtlety of Satan. So I don't really have an altar call for you, but we're going to open up the altar nonetheless. But listen, I don't know how God may have spoken to your heart, but can I just encourage you, you let the word of God be true. Let's pray.